Hello and welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Here you can find all our weekly messages. We trust that God will speak to you today. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're having a message today titled, God's Will is Not a Wheel. And uh, we are looking at the will of God for our lives. If there's anything, I know during uncertain times, we need the certainty of God's will for us. We need to know for certain what God is saying and what God is speaking. And so I've titled this message, God's will is not a wheel. God's will is not a wheel. And if you're taking notes today, you can write that down. Uh, There are some things in God's will that are not in God's word. And so we're trying to answer some of those questions. I'm going to teach and preach you through and pastor you through an understanding of God's will that I hope will give you clarity. Maybe there's questions uh, that aren't found directly from Scripture that you're struggling with, uh, such as, you know, should I quit my job? Is it God's will for me to quit my job? Should I get married? Well, if you want to get married, you probably shouldn't quit your job, right? Because you're going to have to, you know, take care of the household. So, don't, don't quit your job if you're about to get married. Maybe, maybe this is a word of the Lord f- for you today. Uh, should I move out? Well, if you're going to get married, you should probably move out, right, of your parents' house, right? Being married in, in the basement, I don't know. Maybe that's fine. But uh, should we have kids? Well, you should definitely get married and then have kids. Um, and then you shouldn't have kids before you ask her out, right? So there's a sequence of events that has to take place in order for you to be in the direct will of God. Some of you get it in reverse and you have kids with a person that you never asked out, but you got to ask them out. Then you got to get married. Then you got to well, get move out, get married, and then start having kids. And then it gets more serious. Like what school should I go to? Should I go to uh, NC State, UNC, Appalachian State, Duke? We all know that the will of God for your life is to go to NC State because that's the only school that matters. But Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be outside of God's will and, and go to, you know, App State or, or uh, maybe Shaw or Meredith. My daughter, she's uh, 12, and she says she's going to Meredith. And so I'm, like, looking at the tuition now, doing a calculator for, you know, 12 years from now. I'm saying, oh, God, we're going to have to take two offerings every Sunday, one for the church and one for her college education, right? And then we get some serious questions that maybe aren't found in Scripture. It's like, should I fight the cancer or should I let the, the sickness take its course? Is it, is it God's will for me to take the chemotherapy or not? Should I get separated? Should, I, should we go through with the divorce? Should I stay planted where I am or should I launch out and to do something that God has called me to do? And there are a lot of things in God's will that sometimes aren't super clear. Sometimes it's cloudy. You know, should we try to have kids after all of these miscarriages? Should we continue to try or should we pursue adoption? And when we pursue adoption, should we foster to adopt or should we go international? There are so many things about God's will. And if I know anything about uncertain times is that we need God's will for our lives now more than ever. We need to lean into what God is saying and what God is doing now more than ever. And in a culture that worships certainty, we serve a God of mystery. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back. In a culture that worships certainty, we fact check the fact checkers, right? We have a God that is also mysterious. And so what do you do when we need certainty on a decision, but it intersects with God's mystery? And that, my friends, is where we find ourselves many times in life, where our desire for certainty intersects with God's design to be mysterious. We have a mysterious God 
yet we lean towards wanting to know the facts and check the facts and fact check the fact checkers, you know? But what if God's will is not a wheel? What if you just can't randomly select the decision that he wants you to make, but instead he has a divine purpose and a process to discover God's will? We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. To set this up, I'll let you know that Paul is writing the book of Romans. He is a master at writing this faith-filled book to a church that is currently struggling. They're struggling in a few areas. First of all, they are diverse. It's a church of both Jews and Gentiles. So you have multiple backgrounds trying to worship together, trying to land on what the process is for worship in the house of the Lord. But some people eat certain foods while other people eat other foods. And so you have this diverse church culturally that is trying to uh, get through and get past some of the traditions and laws that each of them carry so that they can get to the root issue. And, and Paul is writing a very pastoral letter in the book of Romans, and he takes like the first eight chapters to talk to the Jews. He goes, all right, all the Jews, here's some rules. Here's what you need to do. And then all the Gentiles, you know, there's, there's things like, uh, you know, snip, snip of the circumcision. You know, there's, there's, they're, they're, they're trying to figure it out. Like, it, can we worship without that? There, there's food that have been offered to idols. Can we sit around the Lord's table with food that is seemingly unclean for some, but it's, you know, their wine wasn't made in a way that our wine has been made. There's a lot of arguments. And this is what happens in a diverse church is a lot of things surface because of cultural backgrounds. And what you need is a pastoral moment to say, I think the gospel is for both the Jew and the Gentile. And if we could get to the core components, if we can get to the core elements of what it means to worship God truly, then I think we can all get onto the same page. And that's what Paul is doing through the entire book of Romans. It's, I think it's his best work. And what we're finding is for the first eight chapters, he talks to the Jews. And then the next uh, three chapters, he talks to the Gentiles. And then in Romans chapter 12, he's like, okay, gather around everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Here's what I have to say to you. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 12. As the Jews have been exiled out of Rome three different times, they've been expelled out of uh, Rome three different times by three different rulers because their conversion was so radical that the leadership was scared. Because it was, you know, the emperor needs to be number one in everyone's life. And when Jesus became number one in some of these people's lives, the emperor didn't like it. And three different times, they get kicked out. In 139 B.C., in 19 AD and 49 AD, they get expelled. And this book is being written in about 57. So you have to understand that the Jews are, are coming back, integrating into the church with the Gentiles, and there's just some arguments about food. Essentially, it's what it's, how can we worship around the Lord's table when that wine was not made the way that we believe wine should be made? And that meat was offered to an idol before it was offered to us, and that was unclean and not kosher. And so Paul takes his time. He takes like 14 chapters to set the scene before he gets to the real issue in the church. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, where there is one people, and that is the people of God. No Jew, no Gentile. Chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. They had been arguing about nuances. They had been arguing about specifics. And what he's saying is, this is how you worship him. You give him your body as a living sacrifice. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. I love that because it wasn't giving your heart to Jesus or reading your Bible more or praying more, even though those all things are important. What he is saying is that the transformation that has to happen in this church that is so diverse, that is arguing about how to come around the table of the Lord, it's between your ears. It's in your mind. Your mind is the key to a transformed life. A renewed, a renewed mind will get us into the will of God. Here's how I know. Because the very next sentence says, you will learn to know God's will for you. You mean to tell me that God's will is not a wheel of random sequences that just so happens to land on a certain thing? No, you can learn God's will with a transformed and renewed mind. This is important for us as believers and for those that are pre-Christian. I believe that by the end of today, you'll have an opportunity to know the Lord. But in order for us to know God's will, it's not a wheel. Instead, it's in our mind. It's in a renewed mind, a renewed way of thinking. A, a transformed mind will get you into God's will. So you come in here with questions today. You're like, should we, you know, start trying to have kids? Renew your mind. Should we go through with the separation? Renew your mind. When your mind is renewed, your mind is changed. And what Paul is saying to both the Jew and the Gentile is if we're going to be a diverse church that is unified, it, everyone's mind is going to have to be changed. And for some of you, it's harder than others. I've seen you online. You know, your mind won't be changed. But I don't want your mind changed by others. I want your mind changed by the presence of God. I want your mind changed by the Spirit of God. I want your mind renewed to fully understand and to know God's will. Well, what kind of will? Well, it's good, pleasing, and perfect. I love that. I don't just want the good will of God. I want the good will of God, the pleasing will of God, and the perfect will of God. Can I tell you right now, you don't get to choose one of the three. It is all three all the time. God's will is always pleasing. God's will is always perfect. And God's will is always good. It's all three. It's all three. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all three. From a distance, it's all three. It's all three. From a distance, it's all three. It's all three. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Father, we thank you for your word. We've come in here today with a mystery, and we need to fight our desire for certainty by understanding your will and how you work. Help us, God, because I know that there are so many questions that are huge in everyone's life that they're having to make right now. Should I quit my job? Should I start the business? Should I go to this school? Should I give everything I have away or should I start stewarding it better? There's so many tensions and questions and I just pray that you would transform us into a new person by changing the way we think so that we will learn to know God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to break God's will down into two parts if you're taking notes today. The first part of God's will is the prescribed will of God. The prescribed will of God. Prescripted, 
prescribed, already written down will of God. That comes from his word. As a matter of fact, there are some things that you don't have to ask God about. (laughs) Should I love my neighbor as myself? No need to ask. It's already prescribed. Should I pray for those that persecute me? No need to ask. It's already prescribed. There are prescriptions already given in God's word for his will for your life. So you don't have to pray about giving cheerfully. Why? It's prescribed that God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard this before. Should I complain? Should I murmur? You shouldn't. My mom taught me in Philippians to do everything without murmuring or complaining. It's prescribed, right? When something is prescribed in God's word, I don't have to pray about it because it's already written down. It's already been established that that's God's will for my life. It is God's will for me to love my neighbor as myself. And then it gets complicated, right? Should I discipline my children? Well, the Bible says to raise your children in the ways that they should go so that they should not depart from it. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You've heard all this. Well, what kind of rod? Is time out the rod? Is unplugging the internet router the rod? Is, is grounding them for three weeks the rod? I mean, what is discipline? If I know I should discipline, I have the prescribed word of God that says to raise my kids in the ways that they should go, and they should not depart from it. Well, what does that even mean? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we have the prescribed word of God, then you have the non-prescribed word of God. I'd like to land on the non-prescribed part today, because I think that anyone that knows God's word or can read God's word can land on what God has said in his word as prescribed. What I've discovered is many people try to jump over the prescribed word of God to get the answer that they want in the non-prescribed Word of God. Here's what I mean. You ask me if this person is right for me. Is this person right for me? Should we get married? But yet you are living together outside of holy matrimony. So you've jumped over. I'm preaching now. Nobody likes it. They're all like intense now. You've jumped over holy matrimony, which is prescribed, to asking me for counseling for a non-prescribed. And what I would like to convey to you today is that until you fall in love with the prescribed instructions, you probably won't get clarity on the non-prescribed instructions. What you have to understand, everyone at the sound of my voice and those that are watching online, is that there are a certain set of standards that God has already established that you don't have to pray about. You have to just walk in the ways of his word before you can discover the ways of his will. I'm preaching now. A lot of people I found jump over the prescribed word of God to try to get clarity on something. They'll, they'll, they'll say things like, you know, do I really have to give? Well, it's in the prescribed word of God to give cheerfully, to take 10% of everything and, and to give it back because 100% of it already belongs to him. Well, is it off the net or off the gross? It doesn't really matter. You know, do you want to be blessed off the net or off the gross? That's my question. I want to give everything already belongs to him. But I can't jump over the prescribed word of God to the non-prescribed questions without first living inside the will of God. And it's so important. It's like, you know, should I, should I walk humbly? Should I show mercy? Should I do justice? It's in the word. 
It's, the answer is already there. You don't have to question whether or not you should love thy neighbor, that you should not walk in the ways of the wicked, as the book of Psalms says. But you first need to be in his prescribed will before you can get into his non-prescribed will, okay? And today I want to help you with the not-so-obvious parts of God's will, the non-prescribed parts. First of all, how can I hear God's will? Number one is this, is God's will is clear when I am close. God's will is clear when I am close. I find that God asks for specific instructions to those who were closest to him. He would paint with a broad brush to a crowd, but he would give very specific and detailed news to those that were close to him. Happens in the Old Testament with Moses. Moses is so close to God, he hears God tell him to take his sandals off. I don't know what kind of word God gives to you, but God never tells me to take my shoes off. I don't hear that specific. You know that Moses was close because he literally said, untie your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Even in the New Testament, Jesus calls two disciples that were already close to him, and he goes, hey, listen, go untie this donkey, run ahead, and go untie a donkey. If any, and it has to be a donkey that hasn't been ridden. And if anyone asks you what you are doing, just tell them that the Lord needs it. He didn't say, first one to get me an unridden donkey wins. He didn't say that. He called those that are close, and he gives them specific instructions. So I would tell you today, if you haven't heard from God clearly, it's maybe because you're not walking with him closely. That The more close I am to Christ, the closer I am to Christ, the clearer his will is for my life. The further I am from God, the fuzzier his will is for me. And I find it so interesting that we beg God for clarity, yet we have no proximity. God, show me my next step. While you're living so far from God, he can't yell at you the details that he has in store for you. He only whispers them. And he whispers them because he's close. So if you haven't heard from God in a very detailed and specific way in a long time, maybe it's an issue of proximity. Maybe it's an issue of closeness, of nearness. And if I could encourage you to draw near to God during this season, the, the, the faith of the church is being stretched thin, and I want to encourage you to strengthen your faith by drawing close to God. For some of you, this is easy. For some of you, you have a lifestyle of proximity to God. You are close to him, and you can hear him clearly. And others of you, this is what you needed to hear today. As your pastor, I'm, I'm begging you to draw near to God. That I don't, might not have all the answers for your life situation, but I know God cares. And he cares enough to tell you specific instructions, and he will do so. As a matter of fact, I know that he does that because he, he, often, he often will, will, those that draw near to him, well, he will also draw near to them, and he will speak in such specifics. I remember as a kid, I was a kid. I still am a kid, I guess. I was buying an engagement ring for my now wife of almost 13 years, and um, I was 18 years old. I don't reckon this isn't marriage counseling or advice. I, this is what this is God's story from my life. I was 18 years old, broke as a joke, and uh, I went to the to the mall. Do you know what a mall is? It's like a thing with a bunch of stores in it. It's, you know, a lot of them are now just skate parks for kids who can get inside. But um, I went to Gordon's. Is that still a store? I don't know if it still exists or not. Gordon's Jewelers. Anyways. And uh, I look in at the glass case, and there's all these rings. And the price ranges for the rings were just so 
uh, distant. You know, it was like such a discrepancy against one of the rings and the other ring, but they all looked the same to me. And I wanted like a big rock. You know, I wanted J-Lo style where my wife would have to walk down like, like this because the rock was so heavy. You know, I just wanted a big piece, you know. And so I said, I want that piece. It's only $200. She says, sir, that's a cubic zirconium. And I said, well, what's a cubic zirconium? It looks like a diamond to me. He said, that's not a real diamond. He said, and then he pulled out this thing called a loop and he, he put it up into his eye and he goes, when I look into this diamond that looks like a diamond, it has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of uh, blemishes in it. It's not as clear. And some of the ladies in here are really getting saved. They're nudging their boyfriend right now. Listen to what he's saying, okay? Listen to what he's saying. He says, the cubic zirconium is not clear and it's not cut the same as a real diamond. And so, you know, me, I'm like, they all look the same from far away, but when the jeweler gets close, he can see its value. And what, what, I, what I want to say to the church, to our church, is that we might all look the same at a distance, but when the jeweler comes in and looks inside your soul, is he seeing something that is clear? Is he seeing something that is cut right? Is he seeing something that is weighty, that is actually of substance? Because I don't want to be caught like a cubic zirconium in the glass case. When you look at me in detail, I want to make sure that my life is close to God. I want to make sure that there's proximity because when he got up, when he got up close to that diamond, he said, now this is a diamond. This is not a fake diamond. This is not an Amazon diamond. This one is, is, you know, this is weighty. And it's important that you allow proximity to determine the clarity of God's will for your life. The closer you get, the clearer it is. The closer you get, the clearer it is. The second observation is this, is that God's will produces glory whether it's revealed or concealed. There are times, even when I'm close to God, that it's still a mystery. There are times when timing and knowing when to do what, even I'm like, I'm close to you right now. God, you should be speaking to me. I don't know if you've ever been here before, but even the, the concealed will of God prevails at times in a believer's life. Because if he were to reveal everything he has in store for you, he won't get as much glory. This is the case with Lazarus. Lazarus, Lazarus' sisters are told, hey, God's going to get the glory out of this while he's very sick. But Jesus doesn't come for another four days to visit him. And he had been dead for four days. The King James Version says, he stinketh. It does. If you have a Bible, you look it up. It says, Lord the stench will be terrible. He stinketh. So for four days, God, Jesus, conceals a miracle. And what looks to be too late for human eyes is right on time for God's time. So he conceals his glory, his miracle working power, so that they can lean in to having more faith in him. If God were to reveal the miracle he's going to do to you, it would require less faith for you to believe in him. But if he lets Lazarus die and sit in there for four days, you really start to lean in to asking God, what are you trying to accomplish? I promise I'll give you all the glory. Just help me understand. Sometimes he will conceal things so that your faith will be built. Your trust will be built in him. So maybe there are things right now that you're not getting clarity on. There's, an, there's not an answer. You're like, what is he doing? 
when will we know? When can we move forward? When can we, we move on? When can I make the decision about my education or to quit my job or all these things? And, and what I would tell you is that sometimes God will conceal his will so that he can squeeze as much glory out of it as possible. Nothing is more prevalent than that than when my kids ask me questions they have no business asking me. You know what I'm talking about? Well, why? My kid one time asked me how much I make. I said, excuse me? You can't handle how much I make. To you, $5 is a million dollars. You couldn't handle how much. If I gave you the, if I gave you the amount of how much I make, you, you, you would freak out. You'd be asking me for V-Bucks to buy stuff on Fortnite all day long. Why? I choose to conceal. <laughs> Some of your parents are like, that's a good idea. Don't tell your kids how much you make. They don't know how much is in their college fund. Why? They don't need to know. They need to get as much scholarships as they can. They'll work less for the scholarships if they know their dad's going to come through for them in the end. Why? Because a father knows that not everything he knows needs to be revealed to an infant. That there are moments in time when my son and my daughters are, are old enough and mature enough to handle some of the revelation that I've known their entire life. I'm not out there teaching the kids things that have, they have no business learning. The same is true for God. He can't reveal to you everything he wants to do in your life at once. Your chest will be buffed up with pride. You'll walk out saying, oh, I already know what God's going to do. You have to be careful that you don't ask God for information prematurely because you couldn't handle the number of zeros that are going to be in your bank account. You couldn't handle the influence that God's going to give you at your job. You couldn't handle the, the success that you're going to see. Why? Because he has to incrementally reveal these things to you so that you continually lean into him by faith. That's what living by faith is. If we knew what was going to happen, then we wouldn't need God to reveal it to us incrementally. Sometimes he'll just give you a foreshadow, a, 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 a glimpse, a prophetic picture. And that should be enough for you to hang on to him one more time, to hang on to him one more time. Sometimes, sometimes God will conceal the things that you want to be revealed. This is what it says in Proverbs 25, if you're taking notes, Proverbs 25, chapter, uh, chapter 25, verse 2. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Mm. God, when am I going to get this job? When are they going to call me back? When is he going to ask me out? When am I going to be able to go to college? When am I going to get that promotion? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So if you want to give glory to God, it might be hidden. Isn't that interesting? Because we want to know everything. But it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Very interesting proverb. Because we want to see God in all of his glory, but sometimes we also want him to reveal every detail about our lives to us in advance. Well, before I do that, I need to know this, 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 and this. God, I need a, I need a checklist. I got a long checklist, God. We're going to talk. And God's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that because I want to get the glory. And if I gave you every step, you would think that you were making that change and not God. And you would now not need me, and you would assume the role of will maker and doer. Instead, I'm trying to get the glory in the unseen things, in the concealed will of God, so that I can get glory. That's why he let Lazarus die. 
I don't think Lazarus' story might not have made the book had he healed him when he was sick. Instead, he allowed, his will was for Lazarus to die. And the more, the more tragic of a situation, the more glory God can get out of it. That's why I think this season is all about getting God glory. Giving God glory. Right now, you're in a se- I'm in a season where I'm like, what are you doing? Are you sure? This is what you want for our life. This is what you want for our church. This is what you want. And he's saying, you worry about getting me glory, and I will show you the steps when it's time. And if you're looking for a church that wants to give God glory, you found it. This is a church that loves to give God glory for everything. There are some things that I'm not going to reveal until it's time. This is what it says in Colossians 1. I hope you're learning something today. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Remember, revealed and concealed. He existed before anything was created and is supreme not the clothing brand and not what you get on your taco, but he is ultimate overall, supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see. Watch this. He made things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. What is he doing? There are things that God is doing in your life you have no idea about. This is a good thing. He can't, he can't give you everything. If he, if he give you a window into everything he's doing, you'd be in trouble. But there is, there's a war. Principalities, kingdoms, thrones, battles. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but there's, there are battles being waged on your behalf that you cannot see. That's why when you hit traffic, if you would have been 30 seconds earlier, that might have been your car. But God is waging a war for you on the inside. When everyone in your kid's classroom gets sick except for your kid, God is fighting on your behalf on the inside. I, there are things that you can't see. So when I run out of things to thank him for that I can see, the breath in my lungs, the roof over my head, then I start to thank him for sparing me from the things I can't see. There's an entire realm of things happening that you cannot see. And when you understand that God is fighting for you in areas that you cannot see, then you could always be grateful because you know that things are happening that you have no idea about. What a good God we serve that we don't just have to worship him in the things that we can hold, in the things that we can see, in the things that we can touch, in the things that we can carry, but instead we can thank him for sparing us from things that we cannot see. He gets glory in the seen and in the unseen. In the seen and in the unseen. God has hidden you. He's hidden his plans from you, but that's for a purpose and a reason. The last thing is this, and John can come and play. I hope you've learned something today, is that God's will, his primary function, his primary function is that you know him. Let me recap for just a moment. There are two kinds of God's will. There is the prescribed will of God that's already in his word. There's the non-prescribed will of God that you can only get through his voice. How do you hear his voice? Well, the closer you get, the clearer his voice becomes. It's just the nature of proximity. Then we know that God's will produces glory, whether it's revealed or concealed, okay? And last but not least is that God's will for you 
God's will is that you know him. There is a primary function, a primary purpose, and that is that you know God. If you don't know God, you can't know his will. You have to know God in order to know his voice. The book of John says the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The will of God comes through knowing the Son of God. The ultimate gift is salvation. The ultimate thing, it says this in, in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Some of you are waiting on the Lord. You're like, Lord, how long will this thing spin? As some understand slowness. You know, God created time for us. He is not in time. We are in time just to create historical markers and to know when to eat lunch and things like that. But God knows no bounds. He does not, he's not limited by time. And so what seems as slow to you, God doesn't even see. God's not like, oh, he better wrap it up. You know, it's 1131. He better wrap it up. God's not like that. He doesn't see time. But it says here, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. His timing is perfect. It's impeccable. Instead, he is patient with you. How many of you are grateful that God is patient with you? I'm so grateful that God has been patient with me. And there have been moments where I've been outside of his will, and he was patient with me. There was a rebellious teenager phase. I was outside of God's will. There was a rebellious college student phase. I was outside of his will, but he is patient with me. There are moments and days, even to this day, where I... I, I I feel like I'm not inside of God's perfect, good, and pleasing will, and yet He is patient. He's patient for you. He's patient with you today. Not wanting anyone to perish. How patient is God? He will make sure that you don't die without hearing the gospel. He wants to make sure that you can hear the gospel, but everyone to come to repentance. His will is that we all repent. Like the primary purpose of this service. It's to worship God and to be gathered together as, as saints. But it's also so that all that hear the gospel know him. That you know him. Some of you think you know him, but you don't know him. Some of you raised your hand as a child, but you don't walk with him in close proximity. You haven't heard his voice in a long time. Your spirit is hungry, and you need to know God. It is God's will for everyone at the sound of my voice to know God. When you know God, you can know his will. If you don't know God, how would you ever expect to have answers to life's most unclear questions? Before we get outside of God's non-prescribed will, we have to get into his prescribed will, which is for that none may perish and that all would repent. Repentance is like a cuss word in the church some of these days because we don't want to offend anyone. But what I'm finding is that repentance is what's necessary to know the will of God. And so you can't keep living without repentance and expect to have clarity on what God is trying to show you. An unrepentant life will lead to a life that is void of the will of God. It is not in God's will that you live a life of unrepentance. And if you're living in unrepentance, what happens is you get lost and confused. And then you try to find answers to these questions, and they're nowhere to be found because you're not even in the prescribed will of God. His prescribed will is for you to repent. All of us. 
Some of us need salvation. We need to know God for the first time in this room today. Some of us need to repent because we know God, but we live like we don't. We live like we've ghosted God. Do you know what ghosted means? It's like a text when someone texts you and you don't ever text them back. You know, I ghost the dentist. Ghost them. I ain't going to no dentist. I don't need no fluoride. I don't need to be reminded of how little I floss. Ghost them. Some people are, are ghosting God. We're going to have to come to a point where we understand that God's will is for us to be intimate and know him. And there's a tangible presence of God that happens when we gather together. That's why I believe the church will never be replaced by online church because you have, there's something that happens when everyone gets together. I, I, I know that we're in a different season right now and I, I'm, I'm being patient as the Lord is patient with us. I want to be patient with those. But at some point or another, like when you can open up a tab to get your brunch recipe and then the church be on the next tab over and they're equivalent on your screen time, it just it doesn't equate. You have to be in the tangible presence of God for you to discern the will of God and the ways of God. That's why I believe that gates of hell will not prevail against this church because there's something powerful that happens when we gather together. And when we repent and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So he will heal us and cleanse us when we confess our sins. And the ultimate confession is obviously one that we are sinners in need of a savior. And so what I'd like to do over the next just few moments is give you an opportunity, those that are here in this room, those that might be watching online, to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because you'll never be able to go to the non-prescribed will unless you get to the prescribed gift of salvation that is through Jesus Christ who died on a cross. Even Jesus asked God for his will to be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, God, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go through with the cross. And what God did is he concealed his glory from the cross to the empty tomb. He concealed it for three days, what, what he was doing, what is happening. And all the while, God knew exactly what he was doing. He was concealing his glory from the disciples and from those on earth, but then he revealed it to them three days later with an empty tomb, which is awesome because Jesus had even asked, God, not my will, but your will be done. And it was God's will for Christ to die, and it was still God's will for Christ to be raised again. And that powerful resurrection, that, that moment, that God's will moment that he not only let Christ die on a cross, not only did Christ bear the sins of the world on the cross, but then he proved himself powerful by allowing him to be raised from the dead three days later. And that's the kind of God we serve a God that gets glory out of every tragedy. I know this week has been heavy. I know this season has been heavy. I know, these, I, I know we're not even out of it yet. But I want you to know God will get glory out of every single inconsistency, out of every single tragedy that you are experiencing. And I want to give you an opportunity to know the Lord. If you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes, having a real honest conversation, have an honest moment, God, great is your faithfulness. Maybe you came in here today and say, Pastor Mike, I don't know the Lord's will because I don't know the Lord's son, Jesus. I've never accepted Christ into my life, and I need him. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. Would you mind just shooting your hand up so that I can pray for you? You need to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You need Jesus in your heart. 
You need Jesus to change your life. Just shoot your hand up real quick just so that I can pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're a believer in here. And you say, Pastor Mike, that word was for me. (laughs) I needed to have clarity on a decision, and I'm getting it. I'm gaining some clarity. You need the Lord to speak to you. I want to take about 30 seconds and allow the Lord to speak to you. Some music playing in the background. And I just want you to hear God's voice. I don't know what circumstance is on your wheel of God's will, but I don't want you just to come up here and randomly spin it. I want you to hear God's voice. So we're going to take a couple seconds and just bring to him whatever the situation is that you are currently going through. Take a deep breath in the presence of God and know that he has your situation figured out. Father, we submit our concerns to you. We submit our questions to you. I pray you would get glory out of everything that we've surrendered to you. Reveal to us that which we can handle. Conceal from us that which we cannot. We ask that you would get glory out of every situation that we just brought to you. We ask that you would pour out your spirit and that you would clarify the muddy waters of our calling, that you would make the crooked path straight, that you would level the mountains that are in the way as they melt like wax before you. And I just pray that we would walk out of here as a church that has more clarity than ever. We have clarity on what to do with our education and teaching our kids at home and our jobs and our finances and our future. We need to be in your perfect will, the prescribed will and the non-prescribed will. We want to be in your perfect, pleasing, and good will. We thank you for that. God, if we didn't get answers in this moment, I pray that this week would be a week where as we draw near to you, you would give us answers. We need to know, God, should we take the job or should we move on? Should we apply for the promotion or should we let it go? Should I ask her out or should I keep staying faithful to you, Lord, my relationship with you? Am I ready for this? Am I ready for that? Should I take this step? Should I take a step back? Should I stay planted? Should I launch out? Should I give everything I have away? Or should I learn how to steward it better? Whatever it is, God, thank you for answering these questions. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your presence in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. This ministry is made possible because of the generosity of many people just like you. 
To partner with us, you can click the link in our description or visit www.givetofocus.com. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe now and share it with a friend. For more inspirational content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash Join us next week for another incredible message.